You know, most people think creativity is about playing an instrument or painting or art or sculpture or something like that. But the truth is that creativity is really about being able to solve problems in a new and different way. And we've spent our lives running away from creativity and embracing, over-embracing the analytics. And we are constantly disappointed with the outcome, right? Welcome to Bulls, Bears, and Bourbon, the investing show with a buzz. Sit back, relax, let's take the edge off, grab a nice glass of bourbon, and enjoy. Cheers from your host, James Vermillion. But first, let me kindly remind you, the information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Bulls, Bears, and Bourbon. I'm James Vermillion, and I'm excited to have Nir Bashan at the bar with me today to talk about something that is severely lacking in the investment world. That's creativity. As someone who hasn't felt especially creative for most of my life, Nir's book, The Creator Mindset, helped me rethink creativity in my business and investing analysis. Nir Bashan is a world-renowned creativity expert. He has taught thousands of leaders and individuals around the globe how to harness the power of creativity to improve profitability, increase sales, improve customer service, and ultimately create more meaning in their work. Nir has spent the last two decades working on a formula to codify creativity. That formula is found in the creator mindset. He has worked on numerous albums, movies, and advertisements with famous actors and musicians, ranging from Rod Stewart to Woody Harrelson. His work on creativity has won a Clio Award and was nominated for an Emmy. Nir is the founder and CEO of the creator mindset, a company that conducts workshops, consulting, coaching, and keynote speeches at conferences and corporate events. His clients include AT&T, Microsoft, Ace Hardware, the NFL Network, EA Sports, Suzuki, Activision, and JetBlue. Nir lives in Orlando, Florida with his wife, young son, and two dogs named P. Pauls and Waylon Jennings. During our discussion, we discuss how balancing metrics and creativity can unleash a new way of looking at companies to invest in, and set you apart from the crowd. You're going to enjoy what Nir has to say. Hey, Nir, welcome to Bulls, Bears, and Bourbon. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, James. I'm excited. I think uh, your book, The Creator Mindset, you wrote it for me. I'm one of those people who who I don't feel overly creative most of the time. So I'm excited to talk about your book and about creativity in general, especially in, in investing, a notoriously uncreative uh, business, I would say. So We'll talk about that. I've got a nice little rye whiskey there for you. I, I saw you take a taste there. What do you think? It's That's early. Very, very good stuff. Early, but it's good. Exactly. It's you know, it's funny. It, this is a uh, usually when people think of rye whiskeys, they usually think of like spices and clove and cinnamon and all these things. I actually get quite a bit of, of fruit here. It's tangerine and pineapple and kind of uh, tropical, really. It's a it's a bit of a softer rye, no? I mean, I, listen, I don't know anything about bourbon, or I don't pretend to be the expert here, but usually ryes are a bit harsher, right? And bourbons are a bit sweeter, but it's it's well balanced. It is. It's really nice. It's a whistle pig ten year old rye. 
Um, so yeah, I really like it. I've had it a couple times. It's been a little little bit, but yeah, I'm I'm pleased. It's a good 11 a.m. drinker. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, hey, let's let's get right into it. I mentioned your book, The Creator Mindset. I, I one of the things I really liked about it is kind of just exploring this idea of creativity and and what is creativity and what makes someone creative. And you touched on something right off the bat, and I think it was a really nice opening that everyone's creative and many people don't call themselves creative or they in fact say the opposite, that they're not creative. Talk a little bit about creativity and how everyone is creative. And and, and I especially love that because like I said, I don't feel creative most of the time, but I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, most people think creativity is about playing an instrument or painting or art or sculpture or something like that. But the truth is that creativity is really about being able to solve problems in a new and different way. And we've spent our lives running away from creativity and embracing, over-embracing the analytics. And we are constantly disappointed with the outcome, right? We're day traders. We're, you know, wealth managers. We're... um you know, whatever, whatever financial sector role you find yourself in. And you're like, you know, I have a really great idea. Everybody's saying, go to this index fund and dump a bunch of money in and, you know, fix it and forget it kind of thing. Right. But I got an idea. And what I wanted to try was, you know, X, Y, and Z. The, the problem is, is that the analytics will tell you, well, you know, before you try X, Y, and Z, you got to you got to think about it. You got to look at the charts. You got to do all of this background and research and analytics. And what ends up happening is you lose that sense of creativity, that willingness to try a new and a different and a better idea simply because you're doing what everyone else does, right? Everyone else can look at the numbers. Everyone else can look at the history. Anyone else can look at all of those analytics, but what separates you from your competition and what separates you from your investment strategy or really anything in life is how you deal with the creativity that your mind and your body generate constantly. And what do you do with it? Most of us shut it down and throw it away. Those who, those of us who use it in our day to day life, especially in our careers, uh, benefit immensely. And so I'm on a mission around the world to help people become more creative. I'm not th saying throw away the analytics, right? I do mainly my, the bulk of my work is with financial services groups uh, all over the world. I'm doing a, a keynote for the IIA, the Internal Auditors Association in Washington in a month. And they love the message of, okay, cool. We're all like super analytical. You are in a room with a bunch of analytical people who think nonstop analytic. Now show us what else we can do. And so that's kind of my uh, my mission in life. It's to help people in overly analytic sectors become more creative and embrace different philosophies of creativity. Yeah, I love it. And one of the interesting things about the markets in particular, right, is to outperform the markets, by definition, you have to do something different. You can ask 100 investors. You could give them the same exact data, tons of data. You could give them annual reports. You can give them all of the financials. You can give them all the history they could they could want. 
And you're going to have people looking at discounted cash flow, book value, free cash flow, return on capital, inventory turnover, debt to equity, sharp ratios, dividend discount models, price turn. Okay, that's all great. I'm not saying those things are bad. I use them every single day, some of them, not all of them. But, but in the end, you can stare at that stuff until you A, do nothing because you're so overwhelmed with information or B, you chuck it because, well, you know, there are a hundred numbers. Some are telling me to, to, this would be something to buy. Some are telling me this would be something to sell. Some, I, I can't even decipher what it's telling me to do. And so you do nothing or you do what everyone else is doing and you, you're happy um, just, um, you know, going along with, with the rest of the investment crowd. Sometimes the answer is staring you at the face, in the face, I feel like, you know, you don't have to uh, get too deep to realize five years ago that Amazon was a, was a good company, um, despite it may have looked expensive for a very long time if you're using certain metrics. So, so that's what I think is so, so, so interesting. And how do you think investors in particular, someone like me who manages other people's money or someone who's doing their own investments, how can they tap into their own creativity um, in a world that is so engulfed in analytics. So the the method, I, I got a book called The Creator Mindset. It's out in bookstores all over the country, Barnes and Noble, stuff like that. The book literally talks about tools, active tools that you can use to become more creative. I believe with every fiber of my being that everybody on earth is creative. We just choose not to become creative because we are afraid it's too out there or I'm not a musician, you know, oh, that's just for kids or whatever. Um, but what ends up happening when we are creative, we end up getting an advantage in our careers, in our, in our lives, in our businesses, where we're able to make decisions that are incredibly avant-garde, incredibly, you know, innovative and, and incredibly interesting. So we have to be willing to embrace a creative side. And what I have is a method called the concept, the idea, and the execution. It's three steps to becoming more creative, no matter what you do. So if you're an investor, you know, you have to look at what the concept of what you do is. And that's the biggest level thought. I've done this all over the world to groups, you know, from five people to, I don't know, 2,500, even more. And everyone always tells me near, I'm an investor. That's what I do. There's no concept. There's no idea behind it. That's what I do. I invest and, you know, I hopefully make money. If I don't, people are upset at me. You know, I, I do a fee or I don't do a fee. You know, that's what I do. I say, okay, but why are you doing this? What is the idea behind your job? And then people will tell me near, I grew up poor and I determined when I was seven years old and grandma left the house, I would never be in this situation again. I was like, okay, that's good. So you're, you're a financial planner. It's your execution and you do, I don't know, index funds. Great. Your, your idea is right. That you never wanted to be in a situation where, you know, you were in, in bad financial shape. Great. Let's look one up from that. What's the concept that encapsulates that whole uh, thing and people will tell me, oh, you know, the concept is again the concept is the biggest idea. The idea is the middle level view, and the execution is the nitty gritty. It's the skew of your product. And so people will tell me all kinds of different things. And and again, these these three uh, concept, idea, and execution, the trinity of creativity, is going to be custom made for you. The way that you answer it's not going to be the way I answer it. It's not going to be the way James answers. It's not going to be the way anybody else answers. And so you'll tell me, oh, you know, the, the real concept is 
that I believe that capitalism is the greatest system on God's green earth, and it allows for more people opportunity around the world. Because if I'm investing properly, I'm making an opportunity for somebody who's in a different country who's doing better, and I'm really into it. I say, okay, cool. So you're kind of you know, uh, a philanthropist in a way, your idea is I will never be in a crappy situation. And therefore I don't want others to be in crappy situation. And my execution is that I'm a, I'm a trader, right? Great. So you have to run your own concept, idea, and execution. All your listeners have to do it themselves. Based on that map, it'll tell you exactly what it is that you need to be doing. Because what you do, you circle your three kind of anchors of identity, and then you start to do associations with those words. So if you look at your idea, never be poor again, great. What else comes to mind? Chick-fil-A. Why? Because we ate a Chick-fil-A. It's all we could afford. Great. Circle it. What else? And you start to kind of come up with a bunch of different ideas that's making creativity happen. You might tell yourself, you know what? I am a retail fast food investor. That's all I want to buy. All I want to <laughs> buy is these types of firms. And more or less, I want to now invest in a start a private equity firm and I want to invest in people opening franchises. You know, brilliant. Why? Because it means something to you, right? It's not just a tip. It's not just some random idea that you get somewhere that's meaningless. Any asshole can give you a tip on investing, right? Oh, buy Moderna. Great. What does that do for you, though? How does it affect who you are? We need to leverage every ounce of creativity that we have innate in our humanity in order to become better at what we do. And when we're able to embrace things that have meaning, we then attract a clientele that has that same value system, that same interest in what it is that we're doing. Why? Because we know who we are. We know what our brand is. We know what we're offering. And it, the gravity that pulls people in to go, I want that same thing. Yeah, I, I love it. And and I'll tell you another part about your book that I really, really enjoyed. And I think it it works so well in my business and helping people invest and, 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 and make money by investing. And that was the parts about positivity. And in fact, you wrote creativity is the playground for the positive thinker, which I think was a really cool way of saying that. When I started my own firm, Vermillion Private Wealth, when I left kind of the, the, the larger firm system and started my own, one of the main things I wanted to do was do things differently, but I didn't know what differently looked like. I just knew the model that we were doing wasn't what I wanted to do as an advisor, um, but it's also not what I wanted my clients to have to go through as a client. I wanted things to be easier for them, less friction. I wanted the conversations to be more open and and more like two friends chatting instead of someone feeling like they're you know planning their funeral um, when they're 35 years old and really should be thinking and getting excited about their future instead right. of uh, having this formal just really. So that's kind of where I started um, my creative journey was how do I take this business that I'm going to be in and make it better for the, for the user, for the client, and also for myself, something I want to do every day, something I get excited about. And that required thinking outside of some of the kind of traditional norms. Because if I, if I took all the norms and did the exact same thing, guess what? I end up with the exact same firm that everybody else has that I didn't like to begin with. So, you know, working through your book and I did, I did the concept. I actually took the book and, and went through the processes that you outlined. And I've got to say, I've got some really good ideas, I think, of how I can take what I've got now 
the ideas that I want and really create uh, a business that people will really enjoy. The clients will love the experience and I'll enjoy actually being able to bring that to them and, and the outcomes will be better as a result. Yeah. And that's a big deal, right? Because the identity of the way that you craft your business is really important, right? People call it a brand and they go, oh, I'm going to go hire a branding agency and I'm going to sit and they're going to tell me what I am. It's like, yeah, not really. It doesn't really work like that. I mean, you could spend tons of money getting, you know, a, uh, an analysis to, you know, figure out where you fit in the marketplace, but it's got to come from you. It's got to come from some sense of ownership, some sense of creativity. This isn't just about analytics. Life is not only looking at the analytics. It's looking at how a company, for instance, for our audience, how a company does in popular culture will affect what that company's worth in in the market, right? And absolutely. Just because it doesn't have, you know, the the standard typical things that make that, you know, product or service uh, valuable, that doesn't mean that it won't the stocks won't go up or that the numbers aren't positive because of what it means in culture. So there there's all kinds of different ways to approach investing in approach creativity in your career in general. If you are the type of person that is willing to embrace failure and take on a few ideas that will not work, you are the type of person who's building a long-term successful and innovative practice. You must have a few things go wrong in order for you to be successful. Now, I nobody says that kind of stuff, right? Everybody's <laughs> saying, look at me, I'm an Instagram millionaire. You know, I get paid to hold a can of soda on Insta. Look at me, I, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm perfect, right? But the truth of the matter is, is that even that person holding that nice can of soda and getting paid a million dollars for the spot has done a bunch of stuff wrong before. And we need to stop glorifying the success, you know, the the guy we hear of. Oh, he put, you know, $10 into, hmm. I don't know, Ford when they were $6, you know, a million dollars in the Ford when they were $6 a share and he doubled his money, right? There, there, there's like all of this, I don't know, it's sort of culture around investing that I've noticed. Uh, you know, everybody's got a story of that guy, right? That oh, person yeah. or that company. Oh, I want to be like that. They made a thousand percent, you know, or whatever in six days. It's like, you know, uh, th- those stories are out there, I'm sure, but they're they're one less than 1% of 1% of less than 1%, you know, and those aren't the things we should be going for, right? This is a long and windy road and there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs and and that's an okay thing. So I think when we when we start to look at things creatively, we start to understand what analytics sort of cap out at. The analytics cap out at the fact that no matter how good the PL sheet is, no matter how good the quarterly report is, at best it's a snapshot of something that happened in the past. And unless we're willing to understand that and really practice based on that knowledge, we are then doing things the same way every other asshole is doing it. And that's cool. If that's what you want to do, there's plenty of companies out there. I've worked with a bunch that 
you know, they're cool doing two, three, four, 5% a year returns. And they do things the same way that they've done them for a hundred years. And there's, you know, zero innovation, zero forethought into what's next, what's exciting, what's new and what's different. And so, you know, that, that's certainly an option, but you, you really have to decide and make that decision from within. Hey, this is the kind of thing that I want to do. This is the approach that I want to take. Can we step back just a little bit and talk about creativity a little bit more broadly? Because you bring up a lot of good points about where we're at today. You know, we're we're, we're in this world where we're just, we've got so much data. You know, you can find data to really support probably any argument you want to make. Um, You see it every day, no matter what the topic is, there's shit out there that you can say, hey, see, I'm right. Here's why. How did we get to a point where we're putting so much emphasis on data And how do we get back to a time where we're using both parts of the brain, where we're using analytics and creativity and blending those to create something special? And are we going that direction? We are not. We are not going that direction. We need to be going that direction. What happened is that human beings love anything that's predictable. And numbers offer this oasis of predictability that get people really excited. People built careers and lives around the fact that they can reflect something in numbers. But just because something can be reflected in numbers doesn't necessarily mean that it's good, right? And and Einstein was famous for saying that, you know, uh, we could, we've gotten to the point where we can quantify just about anything. But does that mean that we should quantify just about anything? And what kind of value are we getting by doing that? So, it's really important to understand that history has taught us that creativity is a way to survive. It's a way to stay relevant, the way to stay um, fresh and constantly moving forward. Um, and analytics have, have come really quickly behind that and said, okay, well, don't eat the yellow water. Let's write that down. And, you know, don't eat stuff with poop on it. Okay, because you get sick. Let's write that down. And let's come up with this whole prescriptive way of living. And it's made us so comfortable. Today we are, especially in the West, we are the most comfortable we've ever been. We don't think about our drinking water. We don't think about electricity. We don't think, you know, the internet's slow. And we're like, damn it, the internet's slow. And <laughs> We've come so far from just a hundred years ago where germ theory was just coming out and people were bleeding themselves because they thought, oh, if I cut myself when I got a cold and bled out that blood, I would feel better. Dude, dude, we're in a different universe compared to where people were before. And what the tendency of humanity is, is to hold on to what has worked yesterday and assume that because it worked yesterday, it will work tomorrow. Everything that we do is set up for comfort, for predictability. And we are in a point now in the world, it's 2021 at the time of this recording, you got coronavirus, you got, you know, information and data moving at the fastest speed that it's ever moved at in history. And we're at a point now where the differentiating factor between one company or one business or career and another is no longer tied to the ability to process data and spit out some kind of opinion. There needs to be a creative way to problem solve 
Yeah, based on some of the data, but not all of it. It's like we were talking earlier and you were saying, hey, these are the methods that I look at to evaluate a company before I take client money and pop it into it, right? And so it is our job to sift through that data and pluck out a few of the relevant things, which are going to be different to anybody, right? You're, you're going to have different relevancies than I'm going to have. And it's our it's our job to look at that and embed a sense of creativity into that decision-making process. Okay, I've got the analytics, but is this really a good idea? Is this really what I want to do? Is this something that I feel will grow? Is this just a get in, get out kind of thing? It is really about looking at the world in a different way and realizing what can be rather than what is. And mm. if you're looking at the world creatively, you're constantly thinking, okay, what can happen, not what is happening. And that can give you an amazing advantage. When you look at metrics, particularly when you're analyzing a company, let's say, I think it's also important to, to recognize we cannot quantify everything that's important. How do you quantify mission? How do you quantify how, how good and passionate the leadership is? How do you quantify company culture? How do you quantify a moat? How do you quantify whether or not a company has optionality and they can quickly and easily change their business and be flexible? Some of those things, maybe you can a little bit. Some of those things you probably can't at all. And if you totally ignore them just because we don't have a way to quantify them, I think you're going to miss out on investing in some really, really strong creative, innovative companies. And I think that's a mistake. And like you said, it's a balance, right? You've got to look at the numbers. I mean, just because someone's got a really strong mission and really creative people, if they don't know anything about how to manage their money and how, you know where to invest capital, they're not going to survive. And on the flip side, if you've got a company that's great purely with numbers and the, the finance part of it, yeah, they can probably engineer a pretty good short-term business, but long-term, they're not going to be able to continue to put out a product or a, or a service that people are willing to pay for. And they're going to be obsolete. And you're going to be sitting there wondering why the numbers all made sense. Why did this go wrong? Well, it's not all about numbers. The numbers are important, but it's not all about numbers. So I'm really glad that you kind of touched on that because I think it's really important for people who, who want to think about investing beyond just um, spreadsheets, really. Absolutely. L listen, I, so I talk to groups all over the world, right? And, and people tell me all the time near you know, I've hired a lot of people in my career. And I say, okay, cool. You know, and they tell me I'm a really good hire. I said, okay, wh why, what makes you a good hire? They're like, you know, the resume, I look at the resume and I could tell if they went to this college and they went to that college. And, you know, it's all about looking at like things in a linear fashion. I say, okay, how many people have you hired that had a perfect resume? Perfect. And turned out to be complete duds at work. And they're like, well, yeah, I mean, it happens to everybody, right? I'm like, tell me about it. They're like, well, you know, I guess, yeah, it, it does happen more, <laughs> more often than I thought. I said, yeah, because how can you hire somebody based on what's, you know, written down? So there are so many other things that deal with creativity. There's soft skills. There is how a company or a person or a career approaches their day-to-day -day life. There's all these intangibles that are just as valuable, if not more valuable than what is written on the quarter two report. And so it is our job, it is our mission to go and find those intangible 
and package them up in a way that presents value to our customer, value to our uh, brand. And creativity is all about finding those opportunities where nobody else is looking and Mm -hmm. recognizing that, hey, you know, I need to be doing something a little bit different than what everyone else is doing in order to stay relevant, in order to stay fresh. And so when you look at things in a purely analytical way, A and B equals C and off you go. The economy today is changing from a linear economy of the 50s and 60s where, you know, product or service A meets customer B, transaction is made. Today, it's more like A goes to F. F is not a buyer, but has a friend, right? That friend is G. G goes back to A and A gives something for free to G. G thinks about it for three years, talks to B, D, (laughs) and F. F goes back to G. G finds B again, and they transact. That's the way the economy works today. I I talk often about how a company or a product or service or a career even – to be relevant today, you have to have some philanthropic mission. You can't just hoard information. You got to give stuff away for free. James, you're doing that exact thing with this podcast, right? You're having guests on like me, and I've, I've heard some of the other shows. Brilliant. You're giving away a lot of knowledge for free because part of your business you've recognized is the fact that the market is not linear anymore. It's a tangential market. It's con- constantly changing. And the way that it used to be isn't the way that it's going to be tomorrow. And so you have to build that into your structure, no matter what you do, if you're a financial planner, or if you are a home builder, it doesn't matter what it is that you do. You need to understand that the economy is constantly changing and you need to be able to change with it. I totally agree. I want to go back real quickly to a point you kind of hinted at earlier and, and I, I think this is one of the major takeaways I had from your book. We have to recognize, even if it's against human nature, that the world is uncertain, the future is uncertain. And that's not a bad thing. I think we've had it ingrained in our heads, probably since we were young kids, that when you don't know what's going to happen, you should be fearful because it might be bad. And it might be bad, but it's probably going to be good. And I think we need to recognize that. And when you can recognize that uncertainty is is just the way it is, it's the world we live in, it's always going to be that way, that can really unleash this creative spirit because then you don't have to worry about it anymore. And you can focus your energy less on worrying and more on thinking and and figuring out what your purpose is and and really letting the creative juices kind of take over. I mean, is that that a good takeaway or is, is that what you were going for a little bit in the book? Yeah, absolutely. It really is about letting go a little bit and letting the tent. We are so focused on controlling every little thing in life, right? We want to control the way that we drop off the kids in the morning. We want to control what happens between 11 and 2 on the conference call. We want to control, you know, our finances. We want to control everything. And while some of that is good, right? It's not, you know, you don't want to be a Jeff Lebowski living in somebody's basement, you know, that's (laughs) cool, man. You know, you want to, you want to have some authorship of your life. I think we've swung too far into the over control uh, realm and, and it makes people anxious. It makes people 
unhappy. It makes people constantly wondering why they can't get ahead, why they're being blocked. What happens is we are constantly hitting our head against the higher limits of analytics. Because we want predictability, because we want comfort, because we want to have everything pre, pre you know, prescribed to us and not risky, we hit our heads against the roof of certainty. And yeah. creativity helps you deal with uncertainty. And uncertainty is a perfectly normal and natural state of life. And the more that we can accept that uncertainty is going to happen, the more we can be better prepared for it and better situated for an up or down in the market. Listen, COVID hit and a lot of businesses just lost it. They had no idea what to do. They were like throwing their hands up, we're done. And then some businesses were able to adapt super quick. They were able to turn on their heels and do something else and go and provide a different product or service or whatever. Those are the companies that were creative because they were able to come up with a solution in an uncertain time. And that is what I beg your listeners to do, to look at their business or look at their product or service or their career and say, okay, what am I doing not just to worry and not just to build anxiety and, you know, spending all this time on something that may or may not happen. But what am I doing in a contingency way, in a planning way to say, okay, the Delta variant comes back and everything goes to hell in a handbasket. What am I going to do? What are the three things you're going to do? You should know, right? And that, that's creativity in action, right? That is creative. Once you get your concept idea and execution, you should have a few contingency plans based on that. For me, I do a lot of speaking. I do a lot of writing. And when COVID hit, everything went online. I immediately went online. I immediately set up a, an office. And I, you know, I would say 80% of the lectures and the work that I do now with companies happens on mm-hmm. the computer. And it's cool. I'd rather be in the room because I'm an I'm in-person kind of guy, old school. But you, know, you have to be able to change and adapt. And I beg your listeners to Please run a, a, a trinity of creativity, a concept, an idea, and an execution of your business and write it down because writing it down activates a totally different part of the mind that deals with, you know, remembering. So you write this stuff down and then you could do it every day. You could do it several times a day and have a bunch of different ideas, a bunch of create creative ideas that will help you in case uncertainty comes. But it's not Absolutely. a matter of if, it's a matter of when uncertainty comes. I, as I went through the book, Nir, I was at first almost mad or like disappointed. I'm like, here I am stuck in like one of the least creative businesses of all time. But by the time I finished, I, I felt like what an opportunity, what an opportunity to stand out from the crowd. And so that's what I'm trying to do. And before I let you go, I know you've got a speaking engagement. I've got one last question that I kind of ask of all the guests. What does wealth mean to you, Nir? What does wealth mean? Wow. That's a big one, isn't it? Yeah. Mic drop, huh? James out. Um, you know, I don't know. I think, I think wealth is all about, uh, I'm just answering off the cuff cause I haven't thought about it, but I think what wealth is really about is I, I can't think of wealth without thinking about health. And mm. for me, wealth is really about being healthy of mind and body and approaching, you know, problem solving in a new and, and a fresh and a different way. I don't think you can be wealthy financially or otherwise, unless you're kind of in a good 
uh, spot, I think, emotionally. And so I think that for me, wealth is is really all about maintaining and, and capturing health for as long as humanly possible. Through this process and talking to so many really interesting people like you, it's you, you start to change your own view of, of, of what wealth is, which I think is really fascinating and helpful. But I think one, one common thing has been there's all these things come together, right? You need to be healthy. You need to be in a, in a clear state of mind. You need to uh, be creative. You need to you know, have family and friends to help balance and have social interaction and, and be able to do all these things. So very good stuff. And thanks so much, Nir, for coming on and talking about how to be creative and what creativity really is today and, and how we can all be more creative. A lot of people can reach their potential if they can figure out how to be more creative and not be so uh, stuck in the box, so to speak. Thanks for coming, Nir. Appreciate you. Take care. All right, buddy. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. I hope we can all use creativity a little more often to innovate and solve problems. It's been really satisfying to watch Bulls, Bears, and Bourbon grow over the last several months, and I truly appreciate everyone who's listened and all the guests who have been so generous with their time. Good whiskey and good conversation is always a good thing. If you like what I'm doing, please subscribe and share the show with someone you think will enjoy it. But until next time, cheers.